Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Christians, if you want to protect your children from this, you need to develop right now a pretty healthy understanding of civil disobedience. You cannot be a soft presence here in Sodom and expect your children to be okay. We have seen this huge increase in pet ownership in our country, and I think some of it is this desire for women to continue to mother someone or something, and pets have become really a surrogate to that because of the fact that we've decided that children are not the best way in which we ought to live our lives as women and mothers anymore. Read through the whole New Testament and all the explicit passages about baptism. And if you just, I think, ask that pretty basic question of who's doing the work in this passage? Is it man or is it God? Universally, it's it's God doing the work. It's something that's happening to you. Our defense is the strength of God's word, the testimony of God's spirit in our hearts through that word, through his sacraments. In all these ways, God is preserving us in the faith and defending us against all of these snares. Lutherans at the Old Latin School in Lutherstadt Wittenberg love issues, etc. Is there life in other universes? If two people of the same gender like each other but still believe in God, what would God do? And if a person is homosexual and they believe in God and confess Jesus, will they be saved? Some questions coming from kids that will be occupying our time here in this hour of Issues Etc. Welcome back. We're coming to you live this Friday afternoon, October the 27th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Jonathan Connor joins us for our series, Kids Have Questions. He's pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. Jonathan, welcome. Thanks. Happy to be here, Todd. Picking up on the science theme from our last conversation, here's the first question. Is there life in other universes? Could God tell us if there was, and would he tell us? Man, that's a great question. I I love when kids ask these questions. I, I really believe adults are asking these questions too. I, I just don't think these are uh, questions only kids ask. How can you not look up in the night sky and at least wonder? So I love when kids ask these sorts of questions. So let me start with my answer to the child, and then I'll get into my answer. But this is going to take me a few minutes to work through because it's such an important question. And and I know sometimes I have a tendency probably to go deeper than what some would prefer or what they're most interested in. But for me, these are such captivating questions. And I guess I'd rather put more food on the plate, more than you need, than to put so little on there, you're left hungry. I'd rather just say, look at all there is to learn and explore and to ask and talk about, and not just to give a a short answer and say, well, that's all we know, because there's so much to ask about and to think about, and there are great answers that I just think it's worth exploring to equip our kids and our parents and adults and how to answer these sorts of questions, because these are very real questions. So first to the child, aren't these fascinating questions to think about? Let's start by clarifying what you're asking. First, we only know of one universe. 
Now, within this universe, we are aware of billions of galaxies. So we need to clarify what you're asking. Sometimes people speak about multiple universes, but there is zero evidence for any other universe. Typically, this idea is proposed by those who want to suggest that there are billions of universes in existence. They do this because they recognize how exquisitely designed our universe is for life. So exquisite that it demands a designer who planned it with precision. But they don't like this idea. So, to escape the implications of design, they propose billions and billions of universes, all with different specifications. Ours just happens to be the one among them all that got lucky and hit the right specifications for life. But again, there is zero evidence for other universes. Now, if you're asking about life in other galaxies within our universe, that's a different question. Here's what we know. Life requires a certain set of finely tuned conditions. And here's what else we know. There are vanishingly few planets in space that have enough of these conditions finely tuned for life even to be possible. For example, for life to exist, you need a planet with lots of liquid water, a stable and suitable atmosphere, a predictable and reliable energy source like the sun that is the right distance away, the right building blocks for life like carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, etc., a stable climate, a protective magnetic field from solar radiation, and many more. In other words, the planet has to be Goldilocks. Everything has to be just right. And here's what's amazing. Earth is just right, and it's exceedingly unique in the universe. Now, could there be life on another planet far away? Well, maybe. Does God have to tell us about it? No, but God did say that he created the sun, moon, and stars for us. So based on science and scripture, it seems exceedingly unlikely that there is any life on another planet in the universe. Now, an answer to the child stops there. And, you know, for listeners who maybe have middle school or younger children, there's enough simplicity in that answer that I think you could offer an, a reasonable answer to a child who would ask. Those of you with older kids or just you're an adult and you'd like to go a little bit deeper, I'm going to do that in expanding upon that answer. It's going to take me a minute because there's a lot to explore here. And I think it's really important that we do it. I want to expand upon two things I highlighted in the child's answer. So you can kind of treat these like hyperlinks where I mentioned them in the child, but I've got these hyperlinks built in. We're going to click on it now and open up this whole other page of information because there's so much more to explore. So I want to expand upon Goldilocks and on the multiverse. So yeah, we all know Goldilocks, right? The porridge has to be just right. It's the same way for life on earth. For life on earth, everything has to be just right. And we're not just talking about right getting the porridge just right on earth. No, it has to be right throughout the whole universe. So let me give you a couple examples just to expand upon some of this. So gravity has to be just right. I mean, too much of it and the universe collapses. Too small and the universe just blows apart. You've got these uh, uh, nuclear forces that you have to have that are just right so we can have gases like hydrogen and helium. And you've got an electromagnetic force that has to be just right so that complex molecules can form. And it goes on and on and on. Then 
you have to think, get things right. I mean, just right with planet Earth. There's this very narrow habitable zone for a planet. You can't just drop a planet anywhere in the universe and expect to have life. You have to be in just the right distance from a stable star. So you have to have a predictable heat source, like one that's not going to burn you up or leave you frozen. You have to have just the right axial tilt with just the right orbit around your star. You've got to be in just the right place in your galaxy to avoid deadly radiation. You've got to have just the right atmosphere with oxygen and carbon dioxide in abundance. You need lots of liquid water and a moon at just the right distance to stir that water for you. And it really helps if you can get a big brother planet like Jupiter orbiting in your solar system to deflect attacks by meteors. And let me add just a little bonus here because this is really exciting. Our planet is positioned in just the right place in our solar system and in our galaxy for scientific discovery. So if we were located in the milky fingers of our galaxy, the Milky Way, right? We wouldn't be able to see out into space. It'd be too milky, too bright. And for example, it turns out that the sun and the moon, they are just precisely positioned to allow for these total eclipses, which allows for scientific discovery. Here's my point. It seems like, and I would say, yeah, obviously is, that we are positioned not only in a Goldilocks position for life, but also for scientific discovery. Now, if you think about that for a minute, I think that's so exciting. I mean, God puts us not only in the right place for life, but the right place for scientific discovery. And look, these uh, constants have to be exactly programmed or finely tuned for life to exist. There's such a small range. Let me give you an image to work with here. When I was a kid, we owned a 1985 Ford Ranger, and it had the radio, just the AM, FM radio, just with the dial on it. And if you ever drove one of those vehicles, had an AM, FM radio, you know you have to crank that dial back and forth, back and forth, lots of times, sometimes before you can find a radio station that will come in, okay? Because there's more static than there are radio stations. Well, okay, imagine if that panel there on, on your vehicle, if it stretches across the entire universe, all right? So it's one big AM, FM radio panel across the whole universe. And there's only one radio station on one tiny spot on that panel that's actually going to get a radio station, okay? That's the kind of odds we're talking about here. But here you go. You turn on the radio and boom, you're hearing updates on the MLB playoffs. Well, what do you conclude? do conclude, well, I guess we just got lucky. No, of course not. You conclude somebody knew where that one spot was and he set it in place for you. You see, that's the kind of problem we're dealing with. Let me give you just a few quotes from some top-notch scientists who are all either outright atheists or agnostic who see this problem. I mean, listen to what they say. Paul Davies, the first one. He's a theoretical physicist. He's an agnostic. Here's what he says. There is for me powerful evidence that there is something going on behind it all. It seems as though somebody has fine-tuned nature's numbers to make the universe. The impression of design is overwhelming. Another one, Arno Penzias, he's a Nobel Prize winner in physics, and he's an agnostic, says this. 
Astronomy leads us to a unique event, a universe which was created out of nothing, one with the very delicate balance needed to provide exactly the conditions required to permit life, and one which has an underlying, one might say, supernatural plan. That's coming from an agnostic. Or take Fred Hoyle. He's a British astrophysicist. He's an atheist. Here's what he says. A common sense interpretation of facts suggested, get this, that a super intellect has monkeyed with the physics as well as with chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces we're speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. That's an atheist. He sees it. And I have one more. This is from George Ellis, a British astrophysicist. And he has no clear religious affiliation, but listen to what he says. Amazing fine-tuning occurs in the laws that make this complexity possible. Realization of the complexity of what is accomplished makes it very difficult not to use the word, get this, miraculous, without taking a stand as to the ontological status of the world. I mean, they're looking at these numbers and they're saying, these things don't happen by chance. And yet, they won't come to the conclusion that it has been specifically programmed by God. So what is their answer? Well, for a lot of them, it's that multiverse idea I mentioned a minute ago. So here's what they say. Well, remember the uh, the radio panel example. They say, well, okay, okay, yeah, that one, it's unlikely that that one would be in the right place to pick up the MLB playoffs if that's the only one on a panel that stretches across the whole universe. But what if there are billions and billions and billions of these radio panels and we just happen to have the one out of the billions that's tuned to the right station. So look, there's no design, there's no purpose, there's no mind behind it all. There's nothing special to see here. It was bound to happen if you've got enough radio panels. If you have a nearly limitless table, for example, going back to Goldilocks, if you, if you have a, a table that stretches the whole universe, so they're all full of bowls with porridge, well, you're gonna get one of them that's just right. But the problem is, there is no evidence of any other radio panels. And now we have to have to account for the factory that made all those billions and billions of radio panels or the cook who made all the porridge. We just back the problem up and make it actually bigger. But here's the point. It's Goldilocks all the way down. Let's just give God's word the last word here. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. It's part 14 of our series with him, Kids Have Questions. When we come back, why do furries exist? Lutheran Talk. The cause of our salvation doesn't lie within us, but instead it lies outside of us, namely in the mercy of our God who sends his Son to live and die and rise again for us. Lutheran Music Listen anytime, anywhere with the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. Download for iPhone, Android, and Kindle at issuesetc.org. This is Kevin Hildebrand, Cantor at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, inviting you to our campus in November for the annual Good Shepherd Institute Conference, November 5th through 7th. 
This year's conference includes addresses by Brian Spinks, Paul Grimm, and James Busher. And there's excellent music, including a Bach cantata with the Seminary Contarai and a hymn festival at St. Paul's Lutheran Church. For complete details, visit ctsfw.edu gsi. Sanctifying your housework with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. The Gospels report Jesus saying some rather shocking things. For instance, in Luke 14, he tells his disciples, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How can Jesus say such things? What about some of the other more difficult teachings of Scripture? Do you have questions about them? Well, we answer many of these in the October issue of The Lutheran Witness. Pick up your copy today at cph.org slash witness. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. It's our series, Kids Have Questions. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest. Here's an odd one, Jonathan. Why do furries exist? I hope people who are listening are thinking, this really came from a 7th or 8th grader? Yes. They were encountering this all the time. I wouldn't even know what that word referred to at all when I was a child. I had never heard of such a thing. Even in the last decade, I wouldn't have heard of it. But these kids are talking about this like we would the MLB playoffs. I mean, it's just part of their daily life. And obviously, they're confused, right? What in the world? Where did this come from? So again, this is going to take me a minute to work through. So I'll give an answer for the child. And so parents, if you have children, young children, there's going to be a certain level of an answer that you can give. But if you have older children, or if you yourself are an adult, there's some deeper stuff we need to talk about, some foundational assumptions underlying this that are really critical to understand to approach this question. So here's what I say to the child. Great question. As you may know, a furry is someone who believes he is a cat or a dog, or I suppose they could be any animal. But nonetheless, I say that's obviously impossible. But if our beliefs about reality actually do define reality, which is what our culture is currently claiming, then you can believe whatever you want to believe and it becomes real. So I can believe I'm an airplane in principle, but obviously that's silly. I can no more be an airplane than I can be seven or Chinese or six feet, seven inches tall. My beliefs about reality don't actually define reality. Reality doesn't care what I believe. So if my beliefs about reality are out of line with reality, the way a person can help me is by helping me get my beliefs in line with reality. But the simple answer to your question is that people who believe they are a furry are believing things that are out of line with reality. They are believing something that isn't true. This is why Christianity is so important. 
it emphasizes what is true and encourages all of us to align our lives with the truth. Okay, so I stop there with a the child. And again, parents, if you have younger kids, I think there's enough there that you can latch onto and give a very simple answer to your child. But let me dig a little bit deeper. And I want to start by just giving a brief plug for a, a presentation I did back in March at Bethany Lutheran College with their Center for Worldview and Apologetics. And I was there with uh, Joy Pullman and Bev Yonke. Just a great question, really addressed the transgender question. And so I put that plug in there. You can find it on their website. I'm pretty sure it'll be in the show notes as well. Here's the thing I want to zero us in on because this is really important. This is a key point. Our age believes our beliefs about reality define reality. That's a really important point. So we need to spend a little bit of time here and then we're going to come back to furries. I highly recommend Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, where he uses that phrase, expressive individualism. He didn't coin the phrase. I think it was Robert Bella back in the 80s in his book, Habits of the Heart. But uh, expressive individualism really gets at the ethos and the mindset of our age. But the basic idea here, which Truman is very critical of, is this. He says, each of us finds our meaning by giving expression to our own feelings and desires. Now, if you're a Christian, so if you're a Bible-respecting Christian, I mean, you actually care what the text says and you believe it defines reality, you should have red flags going up all over the place. Because here's what he's saying. He says, this is the mindset of our age. It's this. You should let your feelings drive. Now, responding as my calm self, I would say, this is a very bad idea. Responding as my more animated self, I would say, this is absolutely crazy. This will mean the destruction of the individual. It'll mean the undoing of society. Instead of educating desires or ordering loves or passions, right, the historic understanding of parenting and education, we are setting them free to setting them loose. So instead of bridling the horses and leading them to the stable, we're throwing the bridle off, we're smacking them on the rear end and letting the horses run wild, dragging us behind them. Because, I mean, who are we to tell the horses where to go? Now, at first brush, that may sound exhilarating, and I'm sure it is at first, but wisdom knows it will not end well. Actually reminds me of a movie that James Smith describes in his fabulous book, You Are What You Love. And I just highly recommend that book, You Are What You Love by James Smith. But he talks about this movie called Stalker. And I haven't seen the movie, and I don't think I want to, but he describes it. The basic idea is this. Three men, they are led or they're drawn into a mysterious room. And in this room, you get exactly what you want. So there's this big buildup as they come to the threshold of this room. And they suddenly realize that their innermost desires are going to come true. In other words, they're going to get not what they think they want, not what they've told themselves they want, but what their flesh truly desires. And here's the question for all of us to ask. Would you go in? Right? Because here's the question. Are your desires pure? Does your flesh desire the good? And Smith reflects, he says this, the room reveals all. What you get is not what you think you wish for, but what you most deeply wish for. I find that thought just terrifying. 
That's why I find the mindset of our age terrifying because we are basically trying to build the room for our culture. In fact, it reminded me of something that Justice Kennedy wrote in the Obergefell decision. He basically said this, yeah, let's build that room. And here's what he wrote. The Constitution promises liberty to all within its reach, a liberty that includes certain specific rights that allow persons within a lawful realm, get this, to define and express their identity. Okay, that's an absolutely shocking statement. The sad part, though, is how many people can hear that and think it's reasonable? Now, I want to give all due respect to Justice Kennedy here, but that is crazy. It is completely disconnected from reality. Yeah, he dresses it up in academic jargon, but you know what? You can put all the makeup you want on a pig, but it's still a pig. Now, back to Truman. He writes this, if the inner psychological life of the individual is sovereign, then identity becomes as potentially unlimited as the human imagination. In other words, if our desires are God, they're only limited by our imagination. So, okay, now we come back to furries. Here's the thing. Furries make sense in the room. They make sense in expressive individualism. They don't make sense in reality. They don't make sense in a biblical worldview because reality and scripture tell us that we are not free to define ourselves. Now, I know our world hears that and they scream, that's oppressive. Well, I want to quote a guest you just had on recently, Rosaria Butterfield. She's a clear and straightforward writer and speaker. Everyone has listened to that interview, knows this, if you read her books. She lived for 10 years as a lesbian. She fully bought into this idea that I get to define myself. She was totally on board. But I just want to share one sentence. I want people to hear what she said after Christ converted her heart, after she came to appreciate her identity as a redeemed creature of God. Here's the way she put it. No longer did I have to invent myself. See, what she understands is that far from being oppressive or repressive, it was liberating. She did not have to invent herself. She was freed from all of that. God gave her her identity, right? Image-bearing creation, woman, redeemed child of God, inheritor of the kingdom. That is an outstanding identity. And then God moves from there into our vocations, right? Child, sibling, husband, wife, neighbor, father, mother, worker, employer, citizen, whatever, okay? God gives these and defines these. And within these, that's where we find freedom. I tell my kids this all the time, because freedom requires offense. Now, I know you think that seems counterintuitive. That seems limiting. In some respects, maybe it is. But we all get this when we go to the preschool and elementary playground. We all get this because they all have fences. Why? Is it because the parents and the teachers are oppressive? If we applied that furry philosophy to these kids, we would tear down those fences and let those kids run free. But we all know better, don't we? Because they'd all be dead because they've chased their freedom right into the street. Because, you see, freedom requires a fence. Identity requires offense. And God, in his goodness and loving kindness, he gives it. So I guess the only real question we have left to answer is, do we trust him? Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. 
It's part 14 of our series, Kids Have Questions. The next question, if two people of the same gender like each other but still believe in God, what would God do? Dr. Stephen Saunders, professor of psychology at Marquette University and author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today. 500 years before mental health professionals started to do this, Luther was telling people, be aware of what you're thinking, be aware of how you're behaving, change them so that you can help yourself with your depression, with your anxiety. Learn more about Martin Luther on mental health at issuesetc.org. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. This is Pastor Donald Jordan welcoming you to Redeemer Evangelical Lutheran Church in Chico, California. We stand upon the inspired, inerrant Word of God and preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Students at Chico State and Butte College are welcome to our college group. Our divine service is at 10 and Sunday school at 9. We are located at 750 Moss Avenue and our website is RedeemerChico.org. Memoria Press's award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press. Saving Western Civilization, one student at a time. The faith, once for all, delivered to the saints. You're listening to Issues Etc. The weather is changing, the leaves are falling, and you'll soon be setting up your church's Christmon tree this Advent. But there's a problem. Remember, Aunt Mabel's Christmons are from the 80s. They're made of styrofoam, the glitter has dropped off, and they're being held together with toothpicks. Rush on over to Ad Crucem to fix the situation. We offer all the old designs and a whole lot of new ones. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's our series, Kids Have Questions. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. Folks, if you appreciate this series, Kids Have Questions, please join the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. It's a group of faithful listeners who pledge to support this worldwide outreach monthly or annually. 
Find out about the benefits of becoming an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron by giving us a call, 618-223-8385, or look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses on the support donate page at issuesetc.org, the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. Pastor Connor, this is a question in the same vein as the last one. If two people of the same gender liked each other but still believed in God, what would God do? Yeah, this is a great question. I just love the way kids ask this question. They're trying to sort this out. So let me offer the answer to the child. And again, for those of you with children, I think there's some nuggets here you'll be able to latch onto and offer as an answer to your child or grandchild. And then for those of you who want a little deeper, we'll go a little deeper in just a minute. So I say, great question. Let's think through this. Let's change the scenario a bit. What if a 65-year-old man and a 13-year-old girl liked each other? Or what if it was a married man who wanted to add a second wife? Or what if it was two men who wanted to add a shared wife? Do you think God would approve? See, your question is a good question, but it is built on an assumption that sincere feelings can make a behavior okay. But when I highlighted other scenarios that may be marked by sincere feelings, I expect you struggle to see them as okay. So here's what we need to realize. Number one, we always put the creator before the creature. So pause there. Parents, this is a simple message to tell your kids. This will cut through so much of the jargon and the lies of our world. Creator before creature. Very simple. Creator before creature. Continuing on number two to the child here. Our feelings, although real and intense, can be misleading because our natures have been warped by sin. Let me expand on that a minute. Do you think it's possible to want something that is wrong? Do you think it's possible to like something that is sinful? Do you think it's possible to have a very deep-seated feeling that something or behavior would feel really good and make you happy, but for it actually to be wrong and harmful? If you're honest, then you have answered yes. Same-sex desires fall into this category. They are very real and intense desires but they are out of line with what God has called good. I want you to notice something, though. Same-sex desires are not a special class of desires. They are one of the many desires that humans have that are out of line with what God has called good. So here's the thing. God has created us as male and female. Think of it as a pattern with a purpose. Our bodies teach us something about God's intention. They were specifically created to pair with their created complement. Same-sex desires simply reveal desires that are bent by sin. And we all have desires that are bent by sin. What then do we do? Well, we don't affirm sin. We don't celebrate bent desires. We take our bent desires to God and ask him to forgive us and to help us live holy lives that honor him. Might that mean saying no to certain desires? Yes. This is precisely what Jesus taught, that we have to die to ourselves to follow him. 
But here's the question. What is it that we can't live without? Fulfilling our sinful desires or Jesus? Now, to be clear, we're not saying that a person with same-sex desires has to make themselves feel heterosex desires. We're saying that all Christians have the same call. Be holy as God is holy. We are called to live holy lives. Part of that includes refraining from behaviors that are contrary to what God has called good, behaviors that will lead us to act against what is good and ultimately bring great harm to us. Okay, so my answer ends there. I think that there's a, a lot to chew on there, but I think the concepts are simple enough to share with children, no matter their age of development. But I want to pick up on my last point, although everything I just said really we could expand upon all of it. But I want to focus on this, that our focus is not on feeling a certain way. Our focus is on being chaste. And that's really an important point. I recommend Christopher Yuan's books, Out of a Far Country and Holy Sexuality. He has a video curriculum out. I haven't had the chance to review it yet, but it sounds really promising. The Holy Sexuality Project. He really goes to great depths to try to ground people's identity in Christ. And I think he's on the right path there. So I look forward to reviewing that curriculum. But just very briefly, because I want to couch this expansion on this question in his story. I think that sometimes helps us to see this is not simply an academic thing. This is a real life thing that a real man has gone through and struggled with and has, has come out understanding God's truth as something beautiful. And despite it being contrary to his desires of the flesh. So just very briefly his story, although I highly recommend Out of a Far Country. It's a page turner. You could read it in a couple of days. It's just fascinating. So he lived for years fully believing that gay was his identity. So he writes this, for the longest time, I really believed that God had created me this way, gay. I had told myself over and over, I am gay. I was born this way. This is who I am. I never chose to have these feelings. And that quote ends there. But then see, he says he actually decided to read the Bible. I mean, like really read the Bible. And I'm going to cut out huge sections for the sake of time. But here's what he writes. I realized that my identity shouldn't be defined by my sexuality. Paul said in Acts 17, for in him we live and move and have our being. Christ should be everything, my all in all. My sexual orientation didn't have to be defined by my feelings or sexual attractions. My identity was not gay or homosexual or even heterosexual for that matter. But my identity as a child of the living God must be in Jesus Christ alone. So Christopher writes about what he calls holy sexuality. I'm going to share what he says. This is so insightful. He says, for the longest time, I could never see myself becoming straight. It was a burden because I felt I had to somehow become straight to please God. So when I realized that heterosexuality should not be my goal, it was so freeing. I knew I shouldn't focus on homosexuality or even heterosexuality, but on the one thing that God calls everyone to, holy sexuality. Holy sexuality is not focused on an orientation change, becoming straight, but on obedience. And I realized that obedience means no matter what my situation, no matter what my feelings, gay or straight, I must obey and be faithful to God. Now, end quote there. But does that mean that Christopher must now practice abstinence? Yes. But here's what he observes about this. 
He says, abstinence is not something unfair or unreasonable for God to ask of his people, end quote. So the fact of the matter is, this is for all of us. The call to follow Christ requires abstaining from many things. If we're going to follow Christ, we got to abstain from many of our fleshly desires, right? Just consider just a few exhortations from Scripture. I think we all need to hear this. 1 Thessalonians 4, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And then in chapter 5, Paul says, abstain from every form of evil. And then Peter says in 1 Peter 2, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So, see, the question that Christopher realized that he had to answer was this. What do I think I can't live without? That's a question every Christ follower, we, we need to ask and answer that question. Could you live without sex? Could you live without certain music, especially if it's profane music? Could you live without a portion of your income to support Christ's mission? Could you live without certain words, right, if they're profane words? Could you live without pornography? Could you live without a few hours a week so that you could gather with the church in worship and study? See, this was the question that Christopher was asking. And then he puts it in his context, and he says, could I live without sex? Could I live without a homosexual identity? And he realized that he could. He says this, I was realizing that there were a lot of things I could live without, and it was freeing. I was not controlled by my past addictions, my old idols, my sexual attraction, or my sexuality. So, in quote there, but separating these things from his identity, he says it was absolutely freeing. And it allowed him to discover the one thing he couldn't live without. And I'm going to give him the last word here. He says, what do I think I can't live without? Well, there was one thing, or more specifically, one person I knew I couldn't live without, Jesus. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest. It's our series, Kids Have Questions. The question on the other side of the break is, was anybody in Jesus' time gay? Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the Support Donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Interest Time is a magazine that Lutheran Church Extension Fund publishes to inform and educate readers on what God's people are accomplishing through His blessings. You'll find stories about congregations, schools, and organizations within the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod that are sharing the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Get your free copy today at interesttime.org slash subscribe. Truth-Centered, Mission Outreach. You're listening to Issues Etc. Of the Father's love, we 
Christological. My friends, Jesus comes only for sinners. Historical. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by... Sacramental. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given unto death for your sins. To find a Christological, historical, and sacramental church near you, go to issuesetc.org and click Find a Church. Pastor Jonathan Connor, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa, is our guest for our series, Kids Have Questions. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Jonathan, the next question, was anybody in Jesus' time gay? It's a great question. So let me answer with the child first, and I say, great question. Now, pause a second. Listen to the way I'm answering, parents, and if you're not a parent. Just listen. First, I need to make a correction to the way the question is asked. And when you hear me answer these questions, this is the thing I'm gonna be doing a lot. And this is something we all have to learn to do. We've bought too much into the sexualized labels and we've just accepted that terminology. But I wanna share with you, if we accept that terminology, we've already given it all away. We've just given everything away. We've accepted the premise of sexualized identity. And that's the thing I want us to get is we can't accept that premise. So, okay, answer to the child. First, we would prefer to speak about men or women who are attracted to the same sex. Gay adopts a sexualized label that identifies people by their sexual orientation. That is not the way the Bible speaks. The Bible identifies people as male or female. Then, as male or female, we may speak of and evaluate our various desires. Some are good. Some are bad. Some are good that we satisfy in bad ways. But yes, there were people with same-sex attraction in Jesus' day. Paul writes about it in Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6. You can check it out there. And if you read ancient history, you will see that same-sex behavior was very widespread. I won't go into detail, but let's just say that it would make you blush. So yes, it was very common, and Scripture addresses it very clearly. We know what is good because God has told us in creation, male and female joined in a lifelong, exclusive, one-flesh union aimed toward procreation. Anything that proposes a different arrangement isn't good, period. That doesn't mean people with same-sex desires are worse than anyone else. Like I said above, we all have desires. The question is, are we desiring what God has called good or something that opposes what God has called good? If we take a few minutes to think about it, we will no doubt discover that we all desire things that are opposed to what God has called good. What should we do then? Ask God for forgiveness and the grace to resist temptation. And understand, the reason these other arrangements aren't good 
is because they war against God's good and against reality, and they don't produce good things in our lives. I'm happy to go in detail on this, but the media and leftist politicians do everything they can to hide these realities from people. But there's no way people can war against what God has called good and expect to experience good in their lives. Okay, stop there for the child. Again, I think parents, there are enough nuggets in there that you can take that and offer a solid answer to a child, no matter their age. But I want to zero in on a critical point here with identity. This is really critical. Creation first, then desires. Creation first, then desires. So male, female, then desires. So remember Rosaria Butterfield. She's the one who talks about the body establishes a pattern with a purpose. I think that's a brilliant way of putting it. So the body has a telos. I actually wrote an article on this a while back for our church newsletter, but I put that on, on the blog. And the title is The Sexual Revolution's Silencing of the Body and the Church's Call to Let the Body Speak. Okay, so when it comes to identity, we don't use sexualized terms like lesbian, gay, bi, trans, or queer. We don't use homosexual. We don't even use heterosexual. Identity is not grounded in sexual attraction or behavior or ideation. Identity is first grounded in creation. Image bearer of God, male, female. And when we're talking about identity in Christ, we can talk about being new creations in Christ. But here's the key. We always remain creations. We always remain creatures. So creation first, then we can discuss desires. But we discuss desires as creatures. And as creatures, we have to ask, what has the creator called good? It's not, what do I desire? It's not, how do I identify? It's, what has the creator called good? And do I trust him? And what do we do if we discover that we have desires that are at odds with what God calls good? Well, number one, you're going to find desires that are at odds with what God calls good, because that's what it means to be fallen. But what we do is we confess them and we ask for forgiveness. And here's the wonderful news. God has a church for that. I mean, he has a church to give out forgiveness. That is so exciting. I hope people can take that message and say, hey, friend, God has a church for that. And he's here to give forgiveness, not to affirm sin, but to forgive it. Now, regarding people in Jesus' day, they had all the perverse desires that we have today. I mean, you can see it in their frescoes and in their art, and I use that in air quotes. I need a better term for it because I wouldn't necessarily call it art. Nonetheless, you can also read about it in their literature. It's graphic. It's shameful stuff. They had it all then. We have it all today. The difference, though, for us is that we have moved it into identity today. You know, there's a lot to say on this, but I just want to put it this way. The human person is too important to reduce to a sexualized letter, LGBTQ, or even H. Those letters aren't big enough. They are not strong enough to anchor human identity. So we are not, despite what Freud said, we are not first sexual beings. Now, yes, sexuality is a part of the human experience, but we are first created beings. We are contingent beings. And that means we are religious beings. 
beings in a relationship with our creator. And we would do well to hear what he says about identity and to give heed to what he's imprinted on our bodies. Can we war against what God has called good and expect good to come from it? I don't think so. So I'll close with this. The creator is telling us and showing us what is good. So the only question left, which I asked before, is this. Do we trust him? We have about uh, four or five minutes here and time for one more question. If a person is homosexual and they believe in God and confess Jesus, will they be saved? Yeah, great question. Let's start with the child's answer. You're going to hear what I did, same thing I did last time. I need to make sure we get the clarification and get the language right. So we're not going to accept the language. It's a false place to start. I say, great question. First, a clarification. It's important that we don't characterize people with sexualized terms. So we would not call a person homosexual. That's a specifically sexualized term. It grounds identity in sexual inclination and or behavior. Scripture doesn't do that. Scripture grounds our identity in creation. We are male or female. So we may speak of a male or a female with same-sex desires. We do not speak of homosexuals or heterosexuals or even bisexuals. We use the language of creation and then speak of desires. And here's what we will find. We all have desires that are out of line with what the Creator has called good. There are no exceptions. People with same-sex desires, people with bisex desires, people with heterosex desires all have desires out of line with what God has called good. So a man living with a woman with whom he is not married is sinning just as much as the man having sexual relations with a man. And both are putting their eternal salvation in danger because both are openly rejecting the will of the Creator. Both are refusing to repent. Now, can a person with same-sex desires be saved? Yes, if he acknowledges his sin, confesses it, and receives forgiveness from Jesus. It's the same for the man living with his girlfriend. He can be saved if he confesses his sin and receives forgiveness from Jesus. People with same-sex desires are no different from people with other sexual desires. We do not rank people based on their sexual desires. We call all people to evaluate their desires against what God has called good. If they are out of line with what God has called good, we exhort them to repent, confess, and receive forgiveness. And then I have just a brief expansion about that. There's one point I want to make, and then we'll wrap up. So this is really important to highlight because we've covered most of the stuff in previous questions, but this. Look, a man and a woman living together without marriage are sinning. And a man and a man engaged in sexual behavior are adding an additional layer onto their sin. So they're dishonoring marriage and they are dishonoring the created order. So a man and a woman can repent, they can move apart, and then they can get married and move back together. Two men or two women cannot be joined in marriage. Repentance must mean a complete sexual separation. So same-sex attraction and behavior reflect inherently disordered desires, whereas we could say heterosexual behavior outside of marriage is not inherently disordered, it's simply misplaced. Pastor Jonathan Connor is pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. 
We'll post a link to Pastor Connor's presentation, Reality Edges and God's Good Words That Lovingly Define Them, on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesctc.org. Jonathan, thank you. Thanks, Todd. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October is Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today. This book rings with the constant comfort of the gospel that was at the center of Luther's worldview and his theology. Browse before you buy at issuesetc.org or call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040. Martin Luther on Mental Health, The Issues Etc. Book of the Month. Next week, it's Issues Etc. Reformation Week. We'll talk with guests about their paths to Lutheranism from Evangelicalism, Catholicism, Methodism, Liberal Lutheranism, and Eastern Orthodoxy. I'm Todd Wilkin. Go to church on Sunday. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.